Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Strength Network. It is June 26, 2022. This is Tom coming to you from the Sawdust Studios of the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. Today, we find out the reason the Steelers kept the 90th spot on the roster open. We pay a good debt of gratitude to Ryan Clark and the Pivot Podcast for providing awesome content for our show today. And then we talk about the Brian Flores imbroglio, which continues, Brolio. and we got a little more, yes, we got a little more insight into, not to mention a couple other odd stories having to do with the Washington Commanders and Sunday Ticket. Nice. At first. So the Steelers fill the 90th position with a really interesting free agent pickup. Yeah, massive pickup. Larry Ogunjobi, a.k.a. the compatriot of Miles Garrett and the bonking incident in which Miles Garrett removed the helmet off of Mason Rudolph and proceeded to bonk him over the head with it. And Larry Ogunjobi pushed Mason Rudolph to the ground. He was the other big crap talker, crap stirrer in the occasion. And he is a really good defensive tackle. Like, um, you know, like so many guys make the Pro Bowl, so I'm not going to say he's a Pro Bowler, but he's a very good player. Who had a bit of a down year last year in Cincinnati, uh, dealing with a foot injury, which I guess persisted into this offseason, in which he wanted to cash in big time in free agency, but I think his physical got failed by the Bears, or at least by a couple teams, so he wasn't able to get picked up by anybody, and that's why he was around for the Steelers to scoop up on a one-year deal, and I, I don't remember who it was, Farabar or somebody, somebody made the comparison, this is basically the Melvin Ingram signing again from last year. By the way, I, remember Melvin Ingram? When he was on the Steelers for a minute? <laughs> yeah, for about a minute, yeah. yeah but he was really effective, and it's a disappointment. He actually had a good year last year with Cincinnati. He had seven sacks, a, a career high of seven sacks. I think the yeah, he th- faded this a little is bit, the, but. but what's unbelievable, unbelievable bad luck is that he did have that, um, have that injury. He was all set to sign a three-year, $40 million contract, $26 million guaranteed, and, and a, in an instant, that goes away. That is depressing. What is he making this year for the Steelers? Eight million. That's like heavily incentive based because of his all of his injuries and stuff like that. Right. Right. Eight million dollars. Yes. Okay. That is depressing. Yeah, compared to twenty six or whatever it is. But regardless, the Steelers. I mean, they're they're going all in. Like they're trying to win the Super Bowl with a rookie quarterback or a Mitch Trubisky. They're spending every dollar they have. Uh, the number one most expensive de- uh, defense in the NFL. 
I've seen that thrown around there. I don't think that's a negative thing at all. I think they've, they've paid a lot of really good players, and it doesn't seem like they've overpaid anybody at all. They spent all their money on defense because I think they saw that's the opportunity that happened based on them drafting really well and then making the Minka trade and saying, hey, we got some amazing players. Let's pay them. Let's keep them. Okay, the offense is really turning around. We'll use all our draft picks on the offense. So all the, like the youngest offense, cheapest offense, most expensive defense, and with Tuit not coming back, which wasn't that surprising, they needed somebody to button down that middle. And I guess they could have gone into the season with nobody. But you see, this is the new way that the Steelers do business. Ever since the Joe Hayden and Vance McDonald signings, like they are going to sign some of these veteran guys at the last minute. And you just can't help but think this is going to be an awesome signing to get Joby. And there's going to be another odd man out, I guess, in the defensive line room unless they decide to keep an extra guy. But that was pretty brilliant to fill the spot. I mean, obviously it's not Stephon Tua, but this is a really good player. And, and uh, with the health stuff, maybe he's afforded some luxuries of having a deep defensive line. But... They got uh, got a lot of new blood in there when you consider Levi Wallace. Is that his name? Levi Wallace, the cornerback from the Bills that they picked up? Levi, right? Right. And then Mm Miles Jack as well. So they got a bunch of people in there. That's a great signing. That's really encouraging. And now I just need to see them announce the signing of the running back because we need a damn veteran running back as well. But other than that, man, the Steelers really did not let any holes uh, go without filling in this offseason. You know, you're right that the, the defensive line is incredibly deep. We've got seven guys, and it just seems like there will be an odd man out. When you think about, okay, so Tyson Alulu is he's solid, Cam, obviously. Then you have DeMarvin Leo. You can't imagine they're going to um, get rid of him early. Will it be? So they've got Martravius Adams, Martravius Adams, and Isaiah Laudermilk. I, I could you see them keeping those all those guys. guys. Could potentially go I could seven them, guys. I could see them keeping all those guys. I guess I would have to really look at. So I'll, I'll leave this to, to Steelers Depot. You know they do a spectacular job of breaking down the 77th man on the roster, and I'm, I'm I'm half kidding. Like they really do an amazing job of a complete, thorough analysis of the whole Steelers thing, uh, like as if you were running the team yourself. Me personally, I'm not going to go into. <laughs> counting the backup players on this show. So that's probably what you'd have to do to figure out, can they keep seven on the defensive line? But when I look at that list, I mean, they, they prioritized re-signing Montrevious Adams. They, are, they invested a lot in Loudermilk. And the Steelers are, make a trade to get a draft pick. They're not cutting that guy one year after. Le'Veon, duh. You're getting at least two years. Stupid Le'Veon. You would have gotten all the money. You didn't need it guaranteed. Um, so I don't see them letting either one of those guys go. And then the rest of the dudes you mentioned, third-round draft pick and then a couple star players, I, I don't know which one of those guys you cut, and I kind of think that they might keep everybody. You know, the thing that I have I've seen with um, Lawrence, as we like to call him, he's not exactly the run-stopper the Steelers need. Now, I'm not sure he's going to be called upon to start and play that role, but, I mean, the Steelers are, do, do have a problem. And maybe that, that's more at linebacker, but I, I'm not oh, sure yeah, that they time. still have the run stuffer, given that Alulu is going to be, he'll be hurt, what, four games into the season? Yeah, most likely. Yeah, they don't have that Sorry. run stuffing type of guy yet. But I think Derek, our buddy on Twitter, Derek DeKid, we shout out on a lot of these shows. These are, there's just a couple of really great Steelers tweeters, and I think that they're good follows and good conversation points here. I want to give people credit if they said something. I mean, he made a point. Uh, saying, you know, it, it's really going to come down to Miles Jack and and uh, Devin Bush, who if if they could play even average this year, 
I think he said there'd just be a ton. That'd be a world of difference from what last year was, where it was just miserable inside linebacker play. And look, it might sound negative, but that is probably the deal. I think you're right. I think the the inside linebackers are going to have a really big part of this. And yeah, they don't have a Vince Wilfork, Casey Hampton, Stephon Tuitt, obviously not the same as those big Berthas, but great run stopper. They don't have one of those guys, but they got seven good defensive linemen. There's kind of no excuse for the middle linebackers at this point as well. So fingers crossed that those guys have a huge year. Right. We agree. Larry Ogunjobi, great signing at this point in the season. We'll be interested to hear the first interaction, if it's reported, between him and Mason, uh, if if indeed Mason makes it to training camp. Right. Uh, the next thing I'd like to move on to, and as I said at the top of the podcast, thank you, Ryan Clark. They yeah. had a one-hour and 29-minute interview with Mike Tomlin in Tomlin's basement. So Ryan Clark is one of the hosts of the Pivot podcast. Yeah. He is made for TV. That guy is a great interviewer. I know, you know, all these guys, when they're doing their little screeds, uh, when they have their one, you know, their their shots are Screed. sort of, you know, they just have, they have to be excited about everything. But I saw him in a different light here when he was conducting an interview. Great interview, good follow-up questions. There's clearly a lot of affection between Mike Tomlin and Ryan Clark as came through loud and clear in that interview. He's also joined by Fred Taylor, running back from Jacksonville and last year. the Steelers. Torture the Steeler killer, Fred Taylor. I loved that Taylor was great in this as well, and he yeah. expressed the, the, the desire that he wanted to play for Mike Tomlin. He said, I used to look across the sidelines and it just looked like a team, uh, a guy, you know, you were a guy I wanted to play for. Oh, yeah. And then the interview team was rounded up by a guy I had never heard of, admittedly, Channing Crowder, yeah. linebacker from Miami in the uh, 2005 to 2010. But yeah, you know, he's great. It Super was charismatic, great. upbeat guy. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's a, he's kind of the. I mean, Ryan Clark, kind of the star of the program, but it's kind of he and he and Crowder are the stars of the podcast, and Fred Taylor is the cool guy in the corner who I think actually got the whole thing rolling. Well, my my uh, high recommendation is to listen, spend the whole hour and a half, and listen to this thing. You, it's Mike Tomlin, as you have never heard him before. It's just he just doesn't devolve down to a bunch of his sayings. They really sort of crack his coconut and find out what makes him tick. Have he, you gotten to hear, hear the, the finish the thing? I haven't finished it yet, but I've been listening in pieces here, and I will finish it for sure because I don't think he's ever done a podcast and. Obviously, you don't do an interview for this long, but podcasts like conversation, especially when you have a good friend like Ryan Clark there who not only you trust, but that guy worships you. And so you know he's going to make sure that it, it, it turns out well. I don't think Mike Tomlin's ever spoken for that long at one time. And it just goes to show you, like, there, there is just not a guy like Mike Tomlin. I mean, Sean McVay is, like, the first person I think that's come along in 20 years since Tomlin that has sort of a similar level of, like, everybody loves this guy and then you hear him talk and you're like yep everyone should love this guy he's so well adjusted he's so smart got the perfect mix of confidence intelligence but also humility and self-awareness it's uh yeah it kind of makes you it makes you excited for the Steeler season when you get that much of of his mindset going and uh yeah it was amazing so what are some of your favorite parts that stood out I know that you have a couple notes on um some surprising things that Tomlin actually talked about, like stuff that we hadn't heard before. You talked about humility, and the interviewers asked him what what drives him. He said, and this was really revealing, his failure as a player. Maybe he didn't use the word failure, but his uh, he was not uh, a good player in in college. And what drives him is overcoming that that failure in his career. Did, was he? Was he? I thought all, that was pretty. Honest. I, I've heard he's like all conference a couple of times. So am I wrong? Can you look that up? 
he, I know he says a failure as a player, but was he upset that he wasn't a good college player? Because I think he was like a captain and a two-time all-conference guy. I could be completely wrong there, but I feel like I just heard that the week before this podcast. Or was he upset that he didn't make it to the NFL or that he didn't play at a bigger school? Like William, I think he played at William & Mary, right, which is right. tiny, small-time right. football. And he is from Virginia Beach, so they do get some guys who play big-time college football over there. So I wonder if that was his thought. But, look, I think that the same thing drives me a little bit. You know, it's like high school football. It's like, are you still reliving your, your glory days or this or that? It's like, no, there's just some, some things when you're in your teenage and early 20 years that really kind of form your uh, your life view. And you kind of look back like, ah, if I'd done this and this differently, because now I do these things differently, whether it comes to discipline or outlook or whatever, then that, that passion of mine might have turned out a little bit differently. And so I'm not going to sit here and dwell on this for the rest of my life. You know, football, not, not – not having success in football, but I am going to use that, and I'm kind of going to use it as motivation. So it's kind of cool to hear him say that, and it has really worked out for him, <laughs> that using that as motivation. So if, have you been able to find out if he was a good player in college or not, or you can't find any info? Doesn't look. Well, let me just tell, tell you the one thing I found quickly is that he is in William & Mary's uh, Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's kind of hard. to Like, do they put him because he's Super Bowl winning Steelers coach, or is he Hall of Fame as a player? I won't hold your time Um so he attended William & Mary's wide receiver, three-year starter, finishes his career with 100, 101 catches, 2,000 yards, 20 touchdowns. Still ranks fourth in William & Mary history. I want to see a highlight of that so badly. Okay, so he was good. Fourth in the history of the program. But small college yeah. program. Very, 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 very small. What, D2 probably, William & Mary? Two, or something six, like that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Irrelevant. D irrelevant. Yeah, so I can see how that could motivate him. That's pretty cool. Okay, so what else did you really like from the podcast? I mean, obviously you talk about his rapport with Ryan Clark. Oh, I have something. Ryan Clark, that team, you know that 2008 defense, they love Mike Tomlin. That's Mike Tomlin's Super Bowl. Mike Tomlin loves them. They have great rapport. My, Ryan talked about how he came in. Like, obviously, the thing about Mike Tomlin, he's so good at relating to all different kinds of players. And, like, look, when you're in an NFL locker room, you got guys from really different backgrounds and races. You got, like, black dudes who grew up in Liberty City and a way different culture than maybe some of the, you know, like Andrew Luck or whatever, or, or um, like, guys coming up through prep school and, like, uh, you got different races and ethnicities and things like that. And that can be hard to bring people together because – you almost don't even speak the same language. You don't have the same background, and that's what's kind of beautiful about football. You all get on a team, and you make friends with people you would never really just cross paths with. It's not that you wouldn't want to be friends with them. It just kind of just doesn't happen. You know, People are in their own circles. So you make friends with them that way, but it can be hard to get a coach who can really relate to everybody. And then as a player, sometimes you may not know if that guy, if your coach understands you or could really have your back. And Mike Talman has this way of, really relating to every type of player from every background. And, and Ryan Clark mentioned it was a really big deal for them because he walked in and he's like, this guy's a real brother. Like, he has a clean fade. He's got his little mini fro. He mentioned, I wish he brought back the mini fro. The mini fro is so cool. Although this is a good grizzled look he has now. But, uh, and like, he actually, you know, speaks like us, but he also can, you know, can, can, he can speak all the language, but he didn't come in here talking like this. Which, look, my experience with football coaches out of all the the sports, they're the phoniest. They put on the freaking fake accents all the time. My Maryland born and raised and lived his whole life in Maryland. High school football coach just slowly developed a hat of southern accent over the course of his life living in Washington, D.C. 
Uh, obviously, Brian Kelly, the Notre Dame coach who's now at LSU, he had the cringy, hilarious pep rally uh, clip earlier this year where he said, and I can't think of a better spot for my family. And so now whenever you hear anyone say, my family, that's for him pandering to the Southern audience, you know. So I think that that was uh, big for Ryan Clark and some of his teammates. are like, hey, this guy is like, he's, he's himself. And so that's a big deal. I thought that that was cool. And then uh, I'll shut up now, but I had something about I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relate this back to Ben because I have to, but I have a good point about Ryan Clark. What else did you dig about the interview or anything that stood out to you? Thematically, and this relates a bit to the humility, humility is his need to keep his feet on the ground. And he expresses that in terms of remaining in the discomfort. And he yeah. never wants to get comfortable. As a matter of fact, he talked about his beautiful home. They asked him about his great house. And he said, this house is for my wife and my kids. I do not yeah. seek comfort. He actually <laughs> seeks discomfort. He talks about um, coming in after a loss, coming to his house after a loss. And his mom was in the kitchen. And she started talking and complaining about the rest. And he tells his mother, I don't want any of that. I don't want to hear any of that. I don't want to think that stuff. That's you know part of him taking responsibility the other thing he says looking forward he looks he's clearly anxious about the loss of ben as a quarterback but what do he you says, say I'm how do you know he's clearly the- anxious did he say something in particular about it yeah he said i'm looking forward to the discomfort of the post ben era yeah the fact that he thinks the post ben era is discomfort i mean it's my word he didn't say he's anxious but sure why would you be uncomfortable if, if not worried right yeah, in some yeah, way about trying to replace your quarterback so i guess what you know, he never wants to get comfortable because that's, you know, you've got to be looking over your shoulder all the time in, the, in almost any business, but especially in professional sports. No matter how long he's in Pittsburgh, he hasn't had a losing season, but it doesn't, it won't take much to, you know, the Roonies, are, I think, are a different kind of owner and wouldn't just kick him out after a losing season or two. But I don't think there are a lot of good coaches. You don't want to get comfortable, and I appreciate yeah. that perspective. Well, the Steelers are kind of an interesting, interesting position with how hard their schedule is and division is, where they could like have a losing record this year, but by the end, of the, but you could end the year being like, "Ooh, that was actually exciting!" Like this, they could really have built something for next year, depending on how Mitch or Kenny looks at the very end of the year. Were you going to say something to me? To my mic about or something? No. Um, so you, that that goes to the point about the Rooney's. Like same thing, the Jets, right? They're a super young team. Basically, everybody's a rookie. Their schedule is super hard. They could win four games, but you could see the flashes by the end of the year where you could realistically say this is very exciting for next year. They needed that experience. So post-Ben era this year, I could see how that's exciting, like living that discomfort. Uh, but even if they don't you know, go to the playoffs this year, which, of course, they definitely could, you could still be excited about the team. I wanted to say something about Ryan Clark. We knew he was going to be – uh, a great TV personality, what, two years before he left the Steelers. His final year with the Steelers, he actually did a bunch of TV stuff and he gave a bunch of interviews and fans complained about it. Like, he shouldn't be focusing on that. I think he got MVP of the team that year or the year prior. So it's just unbelievable how quick people turn on you. And we knew out of all the players I've seen come through the NFL, Ryan Clark, I can't remember many who are as, as easy of a cho- – oh, this guy's going to go right into TV and he's going to be spectacular. He's so well-spoken. He's opinionated as well. He's a charming guy. He's like a good-looking guy. He dresses well. He's perfect for TV. I love Ryan Clark. I'm a huge fan. I think he's a super underrated stealer. Now, his Ben takes annoy me sometimes. Sometimes he goes a little too hard. He talks about it like, oh, Ben, you know, 
he and Ben have had some public things before where he's like, look, I'm just realistic. I told you he wasn't a great teammate. We didn't love him when we first, uh, you know, started. But then I th- I got to thank that guy. That I have a ring because of that guy, blah, blah, blah. And he did mature. And he, and he said that. And he says, and now I've seen him mature even since I've left. So Ryan's giving him credit for that. But there's a story that Tomlin told and Ryan Clark told on this podcast where in the Super Bowl, when Larry Fitzgerald scored that long touchdown, and Mike Tomlin and Ryan Clark are talking about the aftermath, Ryan says, you could see Mike Tom- in Mike Tomlin's face after Ben and San Antonio scored the touchdown, he thought that we were going to give up the points again. Like, this guy's eyes were huge. He was scared. And Mike Tomlin says, yeah, well, I, you should have seen these guys after they came off the field giving up the touchdown to Larry Fitzgerald. They were out there on the sideline, and I could see in their face they thought, we're not an all-time great defense anymore. And he's, like, imitating them, like, crying and stuff, and they're all laughing. It's very funny. But I could see, like, that's what I saw on their face. That was the shock. That was the thought. We're not an all-time great defense anymore. So after Ben scored, I said, hey, we're up. We're up. Like, you have a chance. You can still be that all-time great defense. Go finish it. And, of course, we know Lamar Woodley did. But sometimes, I just want to go back to this. We're not an all-time great defense anymore. I just never took – I just never thought about that element. Ryan, Kiesel, Harrison, all those guys post on Twitter very often. There's this graphic, like it's like an NBC graphic from that year where it shows the Steelers' defense, and it's like – First place, first place, first place, second place, first place in all major statistical categories. And they'll always retweet that and say, like, we were an all-time great defense, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, they were. They choked away the Super Bowl. They choked away the Super Bowl. They gave up the Super Bowl on a 70-yard touchdown to end the game. And then one guy bailed them out. And it is just such bull crap that Santonio Holmes got the MVP for that. It makes me so mad. We know why they did. People, at that time, Ben was not in good public graces. But go back and watch the drive. Like the, First off, before then, they get a safety because Chris Kiamatu holds in the end zone. After Ben drops back, two guys come at him. He ducks in between both of them, makes a huge play to San Antonio. It gets called back for a safety or whatever. And then the entire drive is passes to San Antonio, but it's Ben scrambling around when nobody's blocking because it was the worst line in the, uh, in the entire league. Ben then throws the game-winning touchdown to San Antonio Holmes in the left side of the end zone, which he drops. And then San Antonio makes the unbelievable catch off of the unbelievable throw in the corner of the end zone to Ben. But when you look at that, that's not like – basically the story is it's a Mahomes or Allen type scenario. The defense choked it. They gave away the Super Bowl. And then Ben single-handedly just scrambled and threw his way – to get the Steelers in the end zone. It wasn't great play calling. It wasn't uh, strategically marching on the field. He saved their butt. So I think Ryan needs to thank him a little bit more often sometimes because when Mike Tomlin gave that uh, comment about, we're not an all-time great defense anymore, you can't help but think like, yeah, they kind of did choke the whole thing away, and then it took one of the most miracle miracle uh, drives of all time. So I just do want to point that out, and thank you, Ryan, for putting that on, on video. There are several other things I want to extract from that interview that, that were, are worth highlighting. One uh, that was really interesting to me, you know, Mike is famous for his sayings. The standard is the standard. Football is a game. Our business is winning, etc. You know, the reason, I mean, like you were saying, all these coaches adopt a Southern accent. They all have their sayings. But he's very intentional because he doesn't want to talk too much. He said, I want to communicate without talking too much. So mm-hmm. when he throws one of those sayings out, 
set it packs a lot of punch within a, a few number of words. Yeah, that's the beauty about the language. I mean, his language is is awesome. You if if you use the right vocabulary, you can convey a more precise meaning, right? Instead of saying like I'm mad, you know, I'm incensed, or whatever. There's there's different types of uh, vocabulary to use, and obviously he's very poetic with it, but. It's cool how intentional he is about language. But then you see him in a, interv- in a podcast like this, which is in – it's not an interview. It's a conversation. And it's like, oh, he's not just – he can talk extemporaneously. And he can hang out like a guy. He can be laughing. I mean he was laughing about the Jacoby – what the hell is his name? I keep wanting to say Brissette now. Jacoby Jones, the, you know, the kickoff tackle that Mike Tomlin had against the Ravens and he gave a, a reason whether you want to believe it or not that he was looking on the jumbotron and everything was backwards and he couldn't see Jacoby Jones but he can talk like a guy having beers with you and he can talk in a manner where you can tell okay he's premeditated some of these sayings and he's chosen the most accurate language possible so it's just so rare to have both there were th- this is sort of a yin and, y- yin and a yang his sort of origin story in the NFL Tony Dungy hired him, and he talked about being on the job for the first day. They must have had a press conference, and after the press conference, uh, Dungy called him into his office for a meeting. And Tomlin walks into the office, and Dungy's kid, Eric, is sitting on the floor playing PlayStation. And, and Mike had to step over him, and Tony apologized. But Mike Tomlin said, it left a lasting impression on me. It right. put me at ease that Tony Dungy could, man, you know, being the stature he is, can manage this and having a family. I think that was interesting that that stuck with him. And the Yang side of this is now he's that guy. Um, not that he's a mentor to Brian Flores, but I just liked it. It was interesting how this whole thing came about. He didn't. He said he didn't know Flores well. He met him, he met him when he got the Miami job. Um, and after all, so Brian Flores had called him to ask for advice. I guess that's what kind of broke the ice between the two. Yeah. And during that whole maelstrom between Flores and Miami, it was Tomlin's supposition that Flores would get another head coaching job. So he would never, right. he didn't want to insult Flores by offering him a job as some kind of assistant. But as uh, it became clear that Flores wasn't going to get a head coaching job, Mike Tom was on the phone with him, and I guess they were talking, and he said, what are we talking about? You want a place to come? You come here. And yeah. Tomlin walks down the hall to talk to Art Rooney. He proposed the hire. Art did a uh, very in-depth <laughs> question. He said, great. <laughs> Tom yeah. called him back 45 minutes. How cool is that? 45 minutes later. And he said he got himself a head coach at a discount. So it, very cool. And, you know, hopefully Flores is a one-year rental, so to speak, but it will have a big impact on the team. Or maybe, hopefully, he's there for a few years because Mike Munchak and Dick LeBeau, two other former head coaches, worked really well. Uh, Todd Haley, uh, mixed results, but there were still some good things there, too. Like having those head coaches. It's funny that Flores isn't a coordinator, though, because obviously the, the spot was already filled. But, yeah, that's pretty exciting. Again, it's just so cool getting a peek behind the, the curtain to see how the Steelers work because Channing Crowder and the guys were – astonished with Mike Tomlin's story saying, so you just went up to the owner and you just asked him and it got done like that. He said, yep. So that's not how it happens anywhere else. Said, yeah, well, that's how it happens in Pittsburgh. And that's the cool thing about um, them going with the same coach for such a long time. They, I mean, he has a real relationship with Rooney and it's very efficient that way. And you're right. The, the conversation on the phone was he didn't like, they stopped halfway through the conversation, Flores and Tomlin and Tomlin said, wait, 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 like 
you're thinking about coaching? Like, you're trying to get a coaching job? And then he said what you said. Like, what are we even talking about here? Let me call you right back. Give me 24 hours. I need to talk to the ownership here. And uh, it took about 45 minutes and got back to him. So that's that's really cool. Uh, I think I was going to go with something else along those lines, but I'm kind of blanking. Oh, isn't that funny that Tomlin wouldn't even send him a message? Hey, I'm sure you're going to get a head coaching job, but just, just so you know, in the event that you didn't, like, come to us. Like, they don't even – like, that's considered rude. Wouldn't you want to take your shot? Because what if that's the difference between – getting amazing coach and not as you feeling awkward about insulting the guys like i don't know but you're right those are football players they can get insulted and they may not want to want to coach with you again so it's just funny seeing like politics and social dynamics still exist even at that billion dollar industry level i had a similar incident in my career in the last three years Hmm. where a guy who was in another worked another organization at my level another um but uh left for various and sundry reasons and i knew he was floating out there literally a free agent Mm. and i had lunch with him a few times just to stay in touch and see what was going on and i had that trepidation right do you you want somebody he's not flores isn't tomlin's stature i mean he doesn't have the experience but he's at that level so i i could understand a hesitation but you do think you could have signaled like hey look you probably didn't want to say if everything falls apart you have right. a home here i mean it may be the way he's nervous about phrasing it the other thing i just wanted to highlight is that mike tomlin is being very intentional about developing leadership on the 2022 team he is uh he said you know we have expectations of guys who are leading but you need to show them how to lead and it's interesting you know these guys they're still early 20s for the most part cam yeah. aside but interestingly Cam is one of the guys he's focusing on to develop his leadership skills. Now, does that surprise you? Does that seem sort of like, what? Does he need any help? Yeah, that does. Like, wait, we want to develop Cam. Cam's already been a leader on the team probably for the past three, four years. I know people might want to say, what do you mean he's been around for 10 years? Well, he's he kind of turned into the man over the past five years, and I'd say the last three are like, okay, he's very solidified here. Similar to how Ben, during the Super Bowl years, yeah, he's a leader because he's the quarterback, but the real leaders of those teams were Heinz Ward and James Harrison and, and guys like that. But I I agree. That is surprising unless he's got bigger plans for Cam Hayward. Leadership, you know, presidential or something. Well, the other leader on the offensive side of the ball makes a lot more sense, and it's Najee. And if you think about it, there aren't, you know, we don't have a quarterback in place right now, a sort of a natural selection. Right. But. Najee's shown propensity towards leadership, and they say he's a natural-born leader. But it's interesting. This is what I meant when I was saying these are young guys. They were sitting around, uh, I guess, in December or so, and uh, Mike Tom was kind of making fun of Najee. He said, I will bet you that you don't have a Christmas tree or an ornament in your apartment. Oh, yeah. And Najee said, no, I don't. And apparently Cam Cam had one shipped to him and had the whole – his whole place decorated. So just like, of course, he's, what is he? Is he 22? No, he's probably 23 or 22. 23? 22, 22 yeah. 23, yeah. I probably had some ornaments my mom sent with me, but I have to admit, I, I, I probably wouldn't have thought too much about it either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think you mentioned he's developing Cam to develop Najee. Like, he's he basically appointed Cam as Najee's big brother. Now, what do you think? And basically, Tomlin said, we're... Najee's going to be our leader, like our offensive leader. What do you think about that? Drafting a running back who already had four years of carries at the school that is famous for running players, especially running backs, into the ground in Alabama. I'm worried about the, the length of Najee's career. I can't 
believe they still don't have a backup running back for him, like a legitimate guy. Mike Tomlin said in the interview, he's a bell cow, and we're going to need Najee to be a bell cow for us, which just freaks me out because guess how many times that's worked for the Steelers in the past 10 years? No times. Le'Veon, Connor, D'Angelo Williams, all of them got injured by the end of the playoffs because they got ran into the ground. You know they're going to put Najee through it, and he has a lot more tread on his tires than some of those guys. Obviously, D'Angelo you know, had already played a lot by that time. But um, it's just interesting that they appointed a guy who's like, he might be here for three more years, four more years. Like That's the guy you want to build the whole offense around? Well, I guess that's how you have to think about it now. It's like the team's only last two to four years in this salary cap era anyway. So they really are trying to make him like – I mean, it is eerie, the similarities between him and Jerome Bettis, you know? These jubilant, um, effervescent, really likable battering rams that the Steelers have on offense. And like we said last year, it's a bummer that they lost Juju, but they have some like tough players like on offense, some, some gritty guys who want to run people over. So I could see how you would want to appoint Najee as a leader there. And I was going to ask you, what do you think about appointing a running back who their shelf lives are so small as, as a leader? But I feel like I sort of just talked myself into it. I mean, look at the Ogunjobi signing. you're banking on everything working within the next couple years here before the the team probably looks dramatically different. So I guess from that standpoint, it does make sense. And that's why you draft the running back in the first round. We said that that can only be for teams in the Super Bowl window. I think a lot of people, when they drafted them with how old Ben's getting, saying there's no way the Steelers will win. But right now they got a lot of talent on paper, and maybe that's their plan. Build around – it's it's a Najee team for the next couple years. Well, what's more surprising to me is that he's appointing him as a leader. I mean, I think leaders emerge, not that you shouldn't try to develop him, but what is it, what is the alternative until a quarterback emerges? Is it Zach Gentry? You know, who, yeah, who's been probably. on the team for more than two years? Honestly, and I, I don't think the leader always has to be a starter, probably preferable. I think it but does. But I think guys... I think it definitely does. Yeah, but, but you know, leaders in a locker room, sometimes they're special teams guys. It's happened, right? That they, they look to... Um, I agree, but I don't think that's the leader of the offense. Like, your leader of the offense, even like A.B. was a leader, even though he has none of those qualities. But his excellence makes you believe that you can win. His work ethic made you equal that. There's pressure to have to play with him. I do think you need a star player to be your leader. I don't think Ramon Foster would have been as impactful as a leader without Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown being on the team to, to, to lead from just that like star perspective. I'm with you. You can have leaders who aren't stars, but you definitely need your stars to be leaders first and foremost. Well, he's sort of the least uh, offensive. I don't, I don't mean that in offensive football selection for a leader. I just he seems young and inexperienced. Not that he's not good, but it's just kind of unusual yeah. to have a second year guy as your leader. That's all. But again, but he's super until Mitch confident. Trubisky, he's talkative and he's badass. He plays badass. Deontay Johnson hasn't said a word since he's been drafted. He's not the guy. Chase Claypool's annoying. We love you, Chase, but I mean he's not the leader. He signals for first downs while the clock's running as the game's going like that's not the leader. I think Juju would have been the leader. He's uh, he's basically just Najee at receiver, like this super smiley, charismatic guy who's also the most badass player on the team who will do – he does not give a single crap about his body. Fryermuth just said his first word while T.J. Watt was walking by a camera for OTAs the other day, so he's not the guy. I don't know any of the offensive linemen's names. And the quarterbacks, you know, we're going to need a year. But neither – I mean, and hopefully Kenny develops to be that guy. And obviously everybody – Loves Mitch Trubisky from his former teammates. That's awesome, but he's not like that fiery, badass leader. So it's sort of like by process of elimination, you get Najee. But Najee has a star power. Like, you know, the interviews, he's been that way since Alabama. It, 
I, I agree with you where it's like, whoa, weird. He's 22, but I don't know. I think when you stand on the field with him, it's like, yeah, I think this is the alpha, <laughs> no matter how old he is. Fair enough. You also asked the question uh, how I feel about not having a, a backup running back, and yeah, that, that is an Achilles heel for sure. Yeah, it's a little, uh, no pun intended there. Hopefully they get somebody. I mean, Benny Snell's had a couple good games as much as we rag on him. In, in spot duty, but we've seen enough, man. I mean, it's Jonathan Dwyer part two. Jonathan Dwyer had a couple good games, and it is what it is. Jalen Samuels had a couple good games. Moving on, uh, speaking of Brian Flores and his imbroglio. Imbroglio. So the NFL, is, the NFL is trying to force the case into arbitration, and they may have a good case for it. And with that entails is putting them into the secret kangaroo court of well it's not roger goodell anymore they have a an independent or they have somebody who's independently looking or running these disciplined shows but flores is also suing the broncos giants and texans and he has no contract with them so the arbitration might not apply in those cases so this will be interesting to see how that will fall out how this will be adjudicated whether in a public court or within arbitration if I'm him, I'm not looking for, let me say it this, I don't know what his money situation is, financial situation is like, but you don't want to end this thing with a big payout. You, you want results if you're in, right. he's doing that for that reason. I mean, he's, he really jeopardized his career with the NFL doing yeah. this. So, you know, if they give him $10 million or $20 million, great. I guess it's hard to sniff at that, but it really won't affect what it is he's trying to accomplish. Yeah. The NFL's got a lot of little lawsuits going on, don't they? So be interesting to keep an eye on that. I think that Mike Tomlin has proven that the Steelers will be able to kind of look past that. There's just a lot of excitement on the Steelers right now with the young talent. So there's there's good veteran leadership. There's a couple superstars like T.J. Watt that kind of inspire the team, and they're kind of in a good place to be able to weather that kind of thing and just being so stable and being the Steelers, I think they can get it done. We'll be talking about it here on Steelers Outpost Podcast, and today's episode of Steelers Outpost is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow. Check them out on socials or at sportsdrink.org. If you're going to open Instagram, you can just type in at sportsdrink, which is spelled like sports drink, but without the vowels. Thank you to Sports Drink for sponsoring Steelers Outpost. Speaking of lawsuits, the Washington Commanders, what a mess. <laughs> Congress, I still, I cannot get over Congress being involved in anything I know. in a, uh, in a sport with a sports team. Well, I guess but, it's a billion so the, dollar industry, right? It's, it's the owners. Like, if you it's tiny them, compared right? to, it's, well, that's, yeah, that's an internal matter. Sure. But uh, yeah, I guess the, the, the alleged harassment you know, is why is right. Congress getting involved? But yeah, it does sort of shine a light on it. So you know that um, Snyder is in France on a business trip, so he couldn't show up for a hearing. Wait, uh, but they you know why? Suggested- Do you know what the reason is for? He said, I have a commander's-related business trip that I need to take. And as Florio pointed out, he's supposed to be suspended from all commander's business. And they're just so bold that he says, I got a commander's issue I got to go handle to the NFL, the team that has suspended him from the commanders, and the NFL's like, okay, handle it. It is just kangaroo court up there at times. I, I didn't hear that it was, I didn't hear that. It, I'm he not said saying it. it didn't happen, I just said yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, 
his wife's this acting CEO. Let's let's not kid ourselves. Is he involved? <laughs> of course, he's involved through his right. wife. The the fact that they uh, so they may subpoena him and he may have to appear at this hearing. I just now this is the thing that would dislodge him. The thing that people in Washington have always lamented, like uh, how this will never end until Snyder's gone and he's the owner. What's the what's to disgorge him? And there is nothing. He seems to be immutable or just he doesn't care. He's not moving on. He's probably insulated in his in his world. But yeah. this is really exposing him. I wonder if they will have to um, if he'll be kicked out. Hopefully. He's a piece of garbage. And Washington is a good football town, so they need a good team. 19, 1996. That is a year your grandfather and I clambered to the top of the roof up to the chimney and installed our direct TV dish back when I didn't have the money for it. Only because I got to see the Steelers twice a year. And that's when, I don't know if it was called Sunday Ticket back then, but that's how we got the Steelers games down here and paid for it ever since, paid through the nose every, ever since. But now it looks like that may be, move, Sunday Ticket may be moving to what ESPN and CBS, NBC? Yeah, I'm sure that it'll it'll be just like streaming. We're like, oh, we're going to cut the cord, but then every network has its own streaming service. So you end up paying the same as cable. I think uh, the greater businessmen know, oh, they've already been, the co- consumer's already accustomed to paying an arm and a leg. We'll find a way to get them there. But maybe in the interim, it'll be more affordable. That would be amazing. It won't. Actually, I, I was wrong. It's CBS and Fox that are looking to it. There won't oh, be a reduction. It's NBC's 300 bucks. It's far the best. Uh, yeah, so it, uh, the article that I read, and, and this makes sense, you're not going to drop the price of this thing. As a matter of fact, you may, oh. it may get even more complicated, at least with DirecTV on, I'm sorry, Sunday Ticket on DirecTV. I knew the product. It was in one place. It was always on, never any problem. But now, now we just, we're going to convolute it and make it more complicated. Yeah. Anyway, and, and what happens to my DirecTV? I don't want to go back up there and pull that dish down. No, no, it's already up there. We keep it. Training camp for the Steelers for both rookies and veterans starts July 26th. But based on our last couple of weeks, there will be plenty to talk about between now and a month from now. Awesome. Can't wait. And we also can't wait to have you up here later this week. Yep. Big week. Excited to do podcasts on site. Yeah. Big week because Kaylin, my daughter, Nick's sister, is getting married on Saturday. Maybe we can do it on site. Yeah. Live from, from the vows. Hit, hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. 
and you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented... They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.